0: Well, good morning, good morning, how you doing, how we doing, good, good, so it's a little awkward this morning that we're missing half the stage, so if I suddenly just fall backwards, don't (laughs) panic, okay, (laughs) also I don't think, I think the spotlight is squarely on my tummy. So I don't know we'll just deal we're just going to roll with it this morning because we're in transition right it's probably actually appropriate that I'm a little bit in shadow I, I don't know if you noticed the title of the message this morning is pride and arrogance on the day of punishment All right so if you came this morning expecting light and grace and joy and gladness like last Sunday not so much this Sunday okay but we are continuing in, in really what is a poem and what is a song. There's actually four stanzas to the song that we're going to be looking at this morning. And it, and it really, in a, in a lot of ways, is a continuing poem of God's love for us. And, and you kind of wonder, well, how, how do you get God's love out of pride and arrogance on the day of punishment? And the way I really want to frame the passage this morning is kind of along the lines of, Hebrews when Hebrews talks about you know what if we're under the discipline of the Lord that means we're legitimate children if we don't have the discipline of the Lord in our lives the book of Hebrews says that we're illegitimate children he goes on to say that you know what a loving father disciplines his child as he sees fit but God the father disciplines us for our own good so I want you to understand and hear this passage this morning in that context that God loves us and that if we're experiencing the chastisement of the Lord, it's because he loves us. And if you're an unbeliever this morning, this morning is, a, is an opportunity for you. It's, it's a warning of the Lord to you to say, hey, I love you enough to speak the truth to you and to tell you that I am a God of righteousness and I am a God of judgment and I will bring wrath upon unrepentant sin. All right, so that's where we're going this morning. You ready? Ready, to dive in? All right. So we're in Isaiah chapter eight. I mean, yeah, Isaiah chapter eight. Of course, I can't see my notes either because our little our little system here is my little Peterbilt fan is not working. But all right, we're going. We're good. So Isaiah actually chapter nine, verse eight would be a better place to start. And and actually, the way I want to approach this poem is I'm going to start at the very end. I'm going to begin with the end, because at the very end, in in chapter 10, verse 3, Isaiah asks three, I think, really critical questions. And these three questions, hopefully, will come to an answer for this morning. So the, the three questions are, in chapter 10, verse 3, Isaiah says, what will you do on the day of punishment? Question number one, what will you do on the day of punishment? Question number two, in the ruin that will come from afar, to whom will you flee for help? Who do you flee to for help? Third question is, where will you leave your wealth? Where will you leave all that you've accumulated in this life? Where will you leave it? So, those are the three questions that we want to ask ourselves this morning. What will you do on the day of punishment? Whom will you flee to, and where will you leave your wealth? Those are the three questions for us this morning. And there, as I said, there's four stanzas here, and each stanza ends with a, the same refrain. So to kind of help you all participate a little bit, each time I read this passage, and you'll, this verse, and you'll see it in the second half of verse 4 there, and may, read along with me. It starts with, for all his anger. Everybody see it? You all there? Okay, we're going to read together. Actually, I'm going to start from three, and when I get to, for all the, this his anger, you're going to read with me, all right? That last little stint, that last sentence. What will you do on the day of punishment and the ruin that will come from afar? To whom will you flee for help, and where will you leave your wealth? Nothing remains but to crouch among the prisoners or fall among the slain. For all this, his anger has not turned away. This, that's your cue right there, okay? You all with me? Are you ready to go? One, two, three. For all this, his anger has not turned away, and his hand is stretched out still. I can't hear anybody. Maybe my hearing aids are done. So let's try one more time. I'm going to keep at this so you all like find your voice. Ready? For all this, his anger has not turned away, and his hand is stretched out still. Okay, you with me? So that's your cue all the way through this. When I get to that, you you need to read that out loud. So what is the answer to those three questions? Let's go back to the beginning of this poem, starting in verse 8. The Lord has sent a word against Jacob, and it will fall on Israel. And all the people will know, Ephraim and the inhabitants of Samaria will say in pride and in arrogance of heart, the bricks have fallen, but we will build with thrust stones. The sycamores have been cut down, but we will put up cedars in their place. But the Lord raises the adversaries of resin against him and stirs up his enemies. The Syrians on the east and the Philistines on the west devour Israel with open mouth. For all this, his anger has not turned away, and his hand is stretched out still. All right, so the the answer to the first question that... Ephraim and the inhabitants of Samaria have is what? Their answer to the question, what will you do on the day of punishment? Their answer is, let's just go straight denial, right? Let's just pretend that God's punishment is not coming on us. He might wipe out our buildings of brick, but we're going to replace them with dressed stone buildings. He may wipe out all our forests of, of, uh, what's the tree? Sycamore? Well, we'll replace them with cypress, you know, greater trees. We'll build bigger. God can maybe wipe us out, but we're going to make things better. We're going to be great. And what's the key operative word there? In pride and arrogance. Have you ever seen someone under discipline in a very prideful and arrogant way? Have you ever yourself been under discipline in a pride and arrogant way? I remember as kids growing up, you know, there was six of us kids and, my my dad was real old school so you know he could he could have his built off before you could say uh oh and he would use it and my oldest brother was an out loud in your face rebel and i was completely on the other end of that spectrum i was a quiet semi compliant but rebel through the back door kind of kid right so my brother would get the belt all the time, and all my dad had to do was kind of look at me crooked, and I would just be like, I am surrender. I give up right now. Just tell me how high to jump, I'll jump, right? But then I would have sort of my own sort of quiet, indirect, passive-aggressive ways of rebelling. And, and I don't know, in hindsight, maybe it's better just to be an out loud rebel and put it out on the table right up front. But I, I remember one of the last images I have in my mind of, my oldest brother being disciplined by my dad he by this time was a teenager and he had done something really bad and my dad was really really mad and my dad tried to you know tried to put put his hand on him and my brother just wasn't have it and the last image I have in my br- firmly engraved into my brain is my oldest brother with my dad in a headlock he literally had my dad in a headlock and it was just wrong in every way, and, and my dad was embarrassed, and my brother felt bad, and it just was a ho- this horrible experience, and that was the, that was it, that was the last time my dad and my oldest brother ever had any, you know, direct, disciplinary kind of of uh, exchange, and uh, of course, my brother, a few years later, moved out of this house and went up to school in Berkeley in 1971, so lived in Haight-Asbury, and it tells you a lot about how that wound up, but, but... Here, and here's, a, here's, let me just share something with you from my heart. The challenge with teaching a message like this is the, those of us who really need to hear this message will tend to kind of be indifferent about this whole message. And those of us who are probably in pretty good shape in terms of being close to the Lord and turning to the Lord, we're all repentant within the first three stanzas of this message, right? So my challenge to you this morning, if you're in that, if you find, regardless of your temperament, You know, whether you're just out loud rebel or you're kind of passive aggressive, that's not the issue. The issue is if you're one of those people that just kind of find yourself indifferent with the Lord and even a message like this you kind of feel indifferent about, this is your morning. This is your time to be warned by the Lord. Hey, you need to pay attention. You need to wake up. You know, what? God's not playing here. This is for Keeps. I built this world for a very specific purpose and I have great passionate love for you but if you want to blow me off we're talking serious consequences to that amen so hopefully that makes sense to somebody here I want you know I want to just take a moment and and pray and ask for the Lord's Lord's help so Lord I just your love is intense God it is so intense and I I can't think of of your love, in a more intense context than when you are acting in a place of of discipline, of chastisement, even of punishment, Lord. But you love us, God. You never raise your hand against us out of selfish anger, but out of righteous anger, out of an anger that's born of your love for us, Lord. So, God, help us to repent. Help us to not be as the northern kingdom lord that in pride and arrogance just just blows you off. God, help us to submit and turn to you, Father, when we experience your chastisement, when we experience your correction, Father, help us embrace you in your son's name. Amen. All right. So, option 1 for the northern kingdom is well, let's just pretend like it's not happening. Right? Which politicians are really good at doing? We were talking yesterday in the men's study, and 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 we're talking about how politicians really have two jobs. Job one, make you very afraid that the whole world is falling apart. Job number two, convince you that they can fix it all, right? But can they? And ultimately, where do we put our ultimate hope and faith in? I hope it's in the Lord. So let's continue on uh, verse 13. The people did not turn to him who struck them, nor inquire of the Lord of hosts. So the Lord cut off from Israel head and tail, palm branch and reed in one day. The elder and honored man is the head, and the prophet who teaches lies is the tail. For those who guide this people have been leading them astray, and those who who are guided by them are swallowed up. Therefore the Lord does not rejoice over their young men and has no compassion on their fatherless and widows. For everyone is godless and evildoer, and every mouth speaks folly. For all this his anger has not turned away, and his hand is stretched out still. So what's, what's, what's the next answer to the question, what will you do on the day of punishment? One option is just continue to rebel. Just don't turn, right? And is it not kind of hard to turn to the source of chastisement, of correction? Who who wants to go? Oh, you know, I I really I really needed a good chastising today. Come on, give it to me. I I really that's what I'm looking for today, right? It's a good good, healthy chastisement. None of us instinctively want to turn that way. So the challenge to us is when we're experiencing the discipline of the Lord or we're experiencing chastisement, to turn to the Lord, to embrace Him, to hold on to Him with everything we got, even when everything else is falling apart all around us. Especially if we know, you know what? We've been blowing it with the Lord. We know that, you know what? I haven't been spending the time with you that I'd like to spend. Lord, I've been doing, I know what is just a straight up Uh, rebellion and sin against you I know that and everything in us our our whole sin nature just wants to hide that away and wants to hide from that and wants to move away from God And, and that's part of what interrupts the fellowship that we have with God when we're in that place and what's the solution to that what's a better answer the better answer is to repent to turn back into the Lord and press into him and say Lord I'm blowing it you know to repent and sackcloth and ashes right but that's not instinctive thing for us to do we tend to want to kind of oh, i just don't want to go there let's just pretend you know what we'll just repl- we can we can replace our trees we'll we'll grow better trees i'll do better next time lord right i'll just do better next time that that's not the biblical way to address our sin it's the one way that will keep you locked in an ongoing pattern of sin is to continue to go, okay, I'll just do, I'll, I'll do better next time, God. I'll be more obedient next time. I'll, I'll grow a better tree next time. Somehow out of my own strength and my own ability, I'll do it better next time. That's not biblical repentance. That's self-reliance. And that's a way of kind of avoiding God and kind of keeping him at arm's distance. The way to deal with the sin in your life is to address it head-on and press into the Lord and say, Lord, ah, forgive me. What did did Paul say? Oh, wretched man that I am, who can save me from this this body of corruption and death But praise be to the Lord, loves me. We need to just press in and confession and just agree and admit Rather than, like the people here, the people did not turn to him who struck them. You know, if you're feeling the weight of the Lord on you, the solution is to turn to him. Embrace him. Deal with it. <laughs> Don't run from it. Verse 18, for, the, for wickedness burns like a fire, it consumes briars and thorns, it kindles the thickets of the forest, and they roll upward in a column of smoke. Through the wrath of the Lord of hosts, the land is scorched and the people are like fuel for the fire. No one spares another. They slice meat on the right but are still hungry and they devour on the left but are not satisfied. Each devours the flesh of his own arm. Manasseh devours Ephraim and Ephraim devours Manasseh. Together they are against Judah. And here's your line. For all this his anger has not turned away, and his hand is stretched out still. God's just not going to give up. They can rebuild all they want to, but God's just not going to relent. And notice how when we entertain sin, when we engage in wickedness, and that becomes sort of a pattern of our life, who does that burn? Who does that harm ultimately? As As we seek to be... Consumers of everything our, our wicked heart wants, without restraint, who suffers for that? Right? Do we not ourselves suffer and people around us suffer? Notice that it's so interesting here that who gets consumed here? Right? They slice meat on the right but are still hungry, and they devour on the left but are not satisfied. Each devours the flesh of his own arm when we're all about just feeding our own our own interests all the time and we just have a pattern of, of feasting on this particular area of sin and rebellion with the Lord, ultimately we consume ourselves. And we consume the people around us. It's hard not to see parallels in this passage to our own sort of political, cultural environment, is it not? Even thinking in terms of they slice meat on the right but are still hungry and they devour on the left but are not satisfied each devours the flesh of his own arm I see that even in our culture today this this is ongoing you know you get you take one person who listens to Fox News 24 7 you take another person who listens to CNBC or or CNN 24 7 and if they're Otherwise, you know, people that would just get along, you put them in a room together, they're probably going to scratch their eye, each other's eyes out, right? Because we are we can just be get to that point where we're just consuming one another out of our own evil appetites instead of repenting and turning to the Lord and putting our hope and faith and trust in the Lord. So much of that, what's going on, I think, in our day and our culture is so fear-based. There's so much that's just being you turn on the radio and you just you know it, the, it's just things are just going falling apart and it's their fault whoever they are right and I don't care what end of this political spectrum you're on you can find a group that will say yeah we're together and it's all their fault right I just want to warn us I want to challenge us and and Again, and remind us again that, you know what? It's Christ the Lord that we are devoted to. You can have a political party, and affiliation. That's fine. You want to invest that way? You ought to. We have a responsibility to. But remember who you serve, ultimately. And remember who the king is, ultimately. Amen? Amen. Chapter 10. Woe to those who decree iniquitous decrees and the writers who keep writing oppression to turn aside the needy from justice and to rob the poor of my people of their right, that widows may be their spoil and that they may make the fatherless their prey. What will you do on the day of punishment in the ruin that will come from afar? To whom will you flee for help and where will you leave your wealth? Again, really speaking to the leadership, of the people. Notice before in the stanza before I was going to mention that that um, he talks about both the the honored man and the the prophet who, who teaches is the tail. Going back to verse fourteen it says, so the Lord cut off from Israel head and tail, palm branch and reed only. What does he mean by head and tail? He means the elder and the honored man is the head and the prophet who teaches lies is the tail. For those who guide this people have been leading them astray and those who are guided by them are swallowed up. So God has judgment on the leadership who are leading the people astray but the people who are being led astray are not without guilt either, are they? I was thinking about the one of the uh, catchphrases of the Nuremberg trials and actually it's entered the legal vernacular of, of international law but but the defense that uh, Eichmann used during the Nuremberg trials was, hey, we were just following orders, right? That was his, his defense in those trials. But the leaders and those who follow in rebellion against God, we're all accountable. We're all responsible. I think there's a particular responsibility and a, and a particular judgment on those who lead and, and certainly those of us who are, um, have been honored and blessed to be shepherds of this congregation feel that heavy responsibility that God is going to hold us account. You know, Pastor Robert and Dave and myself and each of you who teach and minister, God's going to hold us all account so what do we do with that? Do we, do we kind of hide from it? Do we kind of push that away, not think about it too much because we're going to get depressed? Or do we turn to the Lord and say, Lord, help me? Can we set aside our pride and our arrogance and just call upon the name of the Lord and say, Lord, I'm, as Isaiah himself said, right, at, the, at his commission of this prophecy, what, what, were, what came out of Isaiah's mouth? Lord, I am a man of unclean lips. Who am I? And what is the Lord's response? His response is to, to use a symbol, the symbolic forgiveness of touching his lips with coals from the altar. So what's the answer to that question? Where, where What will you do on the day of punishment? I think... Uh, King David actually is a, a great place for us to go in terms of an illustration of what should we do, what should be our position, what should be our posture, what should be displayed in our character when we find ourselves under the chastisement of the Lord. Um, well, let's take a look, Psalm 32. Psalm 32, verse 1 through 7. I want to read this briefly. This is uh, David saying to the Lord, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with the shouts of deliverance. So uh, a couple things to point here. Notice where David, what's David's answer to the question, whom will you turn to? David's answer consistently over and over and over again, sometimes quickly, sometimes not so quickly, was to ultimately turn to the Lord. And I, I love this passage. It's interesting when he says, for when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. Have you ever felt that? Have you ever had an issue going on in your life and you just felt like, oh man, I need to deal with this, but I don't want to deal with it. It's going to be painful. It's going to cause hurt to other people. I don't, oh, Lord, I just don't want to go there. But as you just sit in it and stay in it, you just feel like your bones are wasting away. You just can feel your spirit just getting lower and lower and lower. until so you finally come to a point where you repent and you just say, God, I just I just." I can't fix this. I just have to confess it. I confess to you, Lord, that I've blown it in this way. Maybe you need to come to another person and say, "Hey, I've blown it in this way." right? And that can be a hard, painful experience, but the end result is restoration. If it's in the Lord, and if it's done according to the Spirit of the Lord, it's the end result ultimately is restoration. And you can move from a place where you feel like you're just groaning all day long and your bones are wasting away to a place of health and restoration and reconnection and being back in fellowship and having the burden lifted off your shoulders. Anybody vote for that? Anybody want that? Right? But it requires repentance. It requires just a step. Sometimes a very difficult step of confession. You know, David had that one experience where it took a prophet coming to him and telling him a, this whole elaborate story before he was finally willing to confess that his sin with Bathsheba, right? That he had an affair, fathered a child, and then had the, the husband murdered to cover it up. That's pretty, that's pretty far down the road, is it not? And yet was God merciful to him ultimately? And when the prophet came and confronted David, did David ultimately confess and repent? He did. So you can come back from whatever it is, right? You can get pretty deep. And the Lord loves you enough to put his hand on you and for you to start to feel the weight of that and start to feel the chastisement of that until you're ready finally to repent. But the good news is the moment you repent, the moment you confess, the moment you go for restoration the lord is right there with you i tell you the most powerful presence of the lord that i have experienced in my life in walking with the lord has been in those seasons of times when i've been willing to just deal to deal with what's there and go and talk to the lord and go and talk to someone else and say hey this is what's going on this is not right i i don't know how i'm going to fix this but i'm committed to walking in the light with this issue and doing whatever it takes, whatever it takes to make this right. As soon as you get to that spot, uh, there's joy, there's hope, there's reconciliation, there's fellowship. So I encourage you this morning, maybe this morning is just for you and that thing that you've been sitting on that is weighing on you, that is decaying you from the inside out, and it's time for you to just deal and come to a place of repentance. What will you do on the day of punishment? Will you just prolong the agony, or will you just pull that band-aid? Make your confession. I encourage you. To whom will you flee? I want to look at Matthew. This is kind of a classic go-to verse, but sometimes just the classic go-to verse is 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 exactly that. So we'll go there. Matthew, chapter 11, verse 28. Jesus says, Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Notice Jesus. Notice the model of who Jesus is. Do you hear any hint of pride or arrogance or even righteous judgment? I mean doesn't Jesus have the full right to just say I'm done with you. I'm just judgment, eternity, hell. So what you deserve. Done. He has every right to say that. Teaching every one of us. But he he came as the humble servant, the lamb who was slain. And Jesus' invitation for each of us this morning is to come to him. Those of us who are are laboring and who are heavy laden, and he will give us rest. There's no better rest for your soul than the rest that Jesus gives. And it's a rest that doesn't have any fakeness to it. There's no falseness to it. It's like, no, he knows exactly what you've done. There's no hiding it from him. And he paid the full price for it. And he offers complete and total rest that you can absolutely trust and depend on if you'll turn to him, if we'll turn to him. If you're a believer, you know what? You haven't attained to perfection yet. I can guarantee you of it. Whether you think, think you have or not, you haven't. And there's some, something in your life that, that the Lord is saying, you know what? It's time to acknowledge that it's there. It's time to quit pretending like somehow you're going to build a prettier house and surrender yourself to me and confess what's there and deal with it deal with it according to my grace according to my love according to my plan, my purpose quit trying to fix it yourself because you can't where are you going to leave your treasure where are you going to put all these things that we've accumulated Donna and I painted our house um, five months ago four months ago, something like that we actually didn't paint it. We hired someone to paint it. But we had to clear all our stuff out of the house. It's amazing how much stuff you have after 20 years of living in a house, same house, right? It's, just, it's crazy what we accumulate. But, but where are we going to put those things? And are those things really our ultimate treasure in the first place? Another great go-to verse in Matthew. This is Matthew 6, 19. Jesus is... Speaking about treasure and, and what our posture ought to be with treasure. Verse 19 says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. There your heart will be also. All right, so number one, as Solomon says, you know what? Our lives are like dew on the grass. They're here today, gone tomorrow. We don't even last as long as grass does. We just last as long as the dew on the grass lasts. It's a short span of time, right? This life is over tomorrow, okay? So what do we treasure? And where does that treasure lie? Here's the, here's the sort of litmus test. How much time... How much energy, how much emotional uh, focus do you have on something that is going to be gone tomorrow versus what will last for all of eternity? Because Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart is. So where's your heart? What treasure is your heart hanging on to? Are you storing up treasure that's just going to be gone tomorrow? Are you investing your heart in things that will are here today, gone tomorrow, are you investing in your heart and what will what will be for eternity, treasures that will last forever. It's so easy to kind of spiritualize that and say, Yeah, yeah, you know, it's yeah, I know that you know the the new heavens and the new earth, that Jesus is gonna, you know, give out rewards based on the things that we've done by faith. Whatever we've done by faith will resort, result in in precious stones and and gold and jewelry. What does that mean? I don't exactly know, to be honest with you. But I know that something that will be as valuable as what we think about as precious stones and gold and precious metals, Jesus is saying, look, you understand the value of those things. Those things are incredibly valuable to you. Well, I'm telling you, you can store something up in treasure that is many, many more times more valuable than that, and it will never dissipate. It'll never be taken away from you. It will never be rotten, right? So where's our heart? Where, we're, where will we leave our treasure? My prayer is that we are building treasure in heaven, that we will not only leave treasure in heaven, but we will embrace the treasure in heaven, and that one day we will, we will experience all, the, all the, the fruit of that investment for all of eternity. I was talking to uh, Andy. Is Andy here? Yeah, over there. Hey, Andy. How's it going back there, bud? So I was talking to Andy last night, and uh, Andy's a swimmer. He's actually swimming at the college level. I swam at the high school level, not the college level like Andy is. That's pretty impressive, Andy. Um, but it reminded me how back in the day when I was playing water polo, we would have Hell Week, okay? And for water, water polo players... They, playing water polo is like playing basketball in nick deep in water, okay? So it takes a lot of energy. And so our hell week for my high school water polo team was we would get up early, early in the morning, we'd go in the locker, open the locker, and see this wet Speedo hanging there at 6 a.m. in the morning, put that thing on, dive in the pool, swim a mile warm-up. We'd swim a mile as our warm-up. Then we would do some wind sprints in the pool. Then we'd get out, we'd go to class, We'd come back at noon, just scarf food as much as we possibly could. Then we'd come back, we'd go run a mile, then we'd go to the weight room, then we'd get back in the pool, then we'd start doing wind sprints again, do conditioning in the pool. Then we'd do deep water work where we're holding buckets of weights while we're tr- treading water and doing different drills. And we would drill until about 4, 35 o'clock in the afternoon. We'd run home, get as eat as many calories as we could possibly find. We'd run back, and by 7 p.m. that night, we would be scrimmaging until 9, and then we'd go to bed, and then we'd start it all over again the next day. That was our hell week. So we'd do that for five days, six days straight, and it, it, was, <laughs> it was hell. And, it, and, and I often think, what <laughs> it was. It really <laughs> and it's like, man, what what would motivate a bunch of 15-, 16-year-olds to do this all week? Why would you do that? And, and I was asking myself that question, I thought, well because we believed in this vision that our coach cast for us that, that somehow we could achieve glory and greatness by getting up at six five in the morning I got to tell you putting on a wet speedo at six in the morning is a special kind of, of, of chastisement that, that uh, I wouldn't recommend um, but we bought into that vision and we had fellowship in that vision that, you know what, we were, do, we were engaged in something that was greater than us, that was bigger than us, that somehow would, would be such a deep blessing to us. In hindsight, looking back at it now, I don't know that it was worth it, quite, quite honestly. But I can tell you this, what the Lord has for us goes beyond anything we can ever hope for or imagine. It's so beyond any CIF Semifinal final championship right so whatever you're facing in your life this morning whatever is there whatever the Holy Spirit is saying yeah you know you know you know you got this thing that you're not dealing with I'm telling you right now it is worth dealing it is worth turning to the Lord in confession and in repentance and saying Lord help me I'm broken restore me Restore my relationships. Help me to speak honestly in this relationship and trust you to restore it. It may take a while, by the way. I mean, if you've done some damage, it may take a while. But it's worth it. It is worth it. So I just want to encourage you that this is God's love poem to each one of us, that he loves us enough to speak the truth and to even chastise us when we need it because it's so important. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you for your love. I thank you that you offer us the hope of glory, God, that you offer us Jesus, the light, God, and that you promise us incredible gladness, as in the kind of gladness that we would have at harvest time, Lord, that we can celebrate and enjoy you for all of eternity, And yet, Lord, in this life, there is trouble, there is challenge, there is fear, there is grief, there is breakdown. Lord, and there is even our own willful, sinful, hard-heartedness. God, we so often cannot even see our own arrogance, Lord, our own pride. So, Lord, I pray that you would use the circumstances of this life, that you would use the word of the witness, the testimony that Isaiah appeals to, to convict us of what truly is broken, God, and what we need to come to you in in truth and in honesty and confession and turn away from and turn to you and embrace you. God, help us to use you as the measurement of all things, God, and to turn to you and embrace you and cling to you, even in the midst of our own breakdown and our own sinfulness. In your son's name, amen.